Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Tara Stingley, a partner with Klein Williams in Omaha, Nebraska. On the program, we span the globe, providing updates on critical issues from ELA members in each region. Today, we're connecting with our member firm representing New Jersey. Joining us on the program is Alyssa Masmano, an associate with Dave Pitney LLP. So last year, New Jersey passed a new marijuana law called the New Jersey Cannabis Regulatory Enforcement Assistance and Marketplace Modernization Act. In September 2022, the New Jersey Cannabis Regulatory Commission issued interim guidance for employers on drug testing employees for cannabis. And so today's podcast will address how this new law affects employers and the procedures that employers are expected to follow in light of New Jersey's law. Alyssa, welcome to the program. How are you today? I'm good. It's nice to be here. Thanks for joining us. So let's get into it. Let's talk about the New Jersey Cannabis Regulatory Enforcement Assistance and Marketplace Modernization Act. That's a mouthful. It is a complete mouthful. So in short, just to make our lives a little bit easier, it's been referred to as CREMA or CREAM. So if you hear me talk about CREMA, CREAM, or the Act, it's all the same thing. It's just because it, it is such a mouthful. So what exactly is it? In February of 2021, New Jersey passed CREMA. And the act essentially legalizes the use, possession, and sale of regulated cannabis in the state. The sale, though, and the cannabis use is only for people 21 and older. So it does not affect the youth. This act is very long. It's all-encompassing. It mainly deals with licensing. But there are small provisions that affect employers. And those provisions, unfortunately, sometimes leave more questions than answers. And so let's try to answer some of those questions today if we can. How did this act come about? What was the genesis for it? So the act came about on a ballot. It was a referendum in November of 2020. And on the referendum, it said, do you approve amending the Constitution to legalize a controlled form of marijuana called cannabis? The referendum specifically stated that it would only apply to adults at least 21 years or older. And it also would allow for taxation of cannabis use. It passed with an overwhelming majority. So New Jersey became one of the many states now that has legalized marijuana. Although it was passed in November of 2020, it took a little while for New Jersey to come up with CREMA and the act. They now have a cannabis regulatory commission that is in charge of dealing with the licensing of cannabis use and promulgating regulations and working with different provisions such as the police training department and whatnot to create other portions that deal with the act. And so we as employment lawyers obviously deal with issues regarding hiring, firing, and everything in between. Let's talk about hiring for a moment. Can an employer refuse to hire someone who tests positive for marijuana? No, they cannot. So this is really important of the act. So I'm going to read a little portion of it just as a hierarchy to explain kind of what the act says. And then there's a bunch more nuances to it. So the act specifically states that no employer shall refuse to hire or employ any person or shall discharge from employment or take any adverse action against any employee with respect to compensation, terms, conditions, or other privileges of employment because that person does or does not smoke, vape, aerosolize, or otherwise use cannabis items. So essentially, the act prohibits refusal to hire just based on someone testing positive, 
saying they engage in marijuana use. So let's say you're talking to someone before you hire them and they say, oh, recreationally, I smoke marijuana, but I don't do so when I'm at my job. An employer under that circumstance with just that information cannot refuse to hire someone just because they recreationally use marijuana. And how about firing an employee during the term of employment for someone who tests positive for marijuana? Same rule? So it gets a little trickier there. So you cannot fire someone solely because they test positive for marijuana use without more. You need reasonable suspicion or something that they're doing so at work. That's the baseline. It can't just be they've tested positive because they could have smoked three days prior. So just a positive drug test alone would not work. There's a couple more nuances to that to allow an employer to take an adverse action. So there are times when you can. And we often deal with the conflict between federal and state law and this issue of cannabis and legalization of marijuana is certainly highlighting that issue across the country. What if cannabis use would violate the terms of a federal contract? So if cannabis use would violate the terms, then CREMA provides an exception. CREMA allows employers who are subject to a federal contract or in receipt of federal grant money, or if they're put out of compliance with certain federal laws to be able to terminate someone for marijuana use. Now, it's a bit of a high standard. You do need to show this. There hasn't been really any cases dealing with this, but the biggest thing would be, let's say you need to comply with the DOT, the Department of Transportation. And I know that there are a lot of various safety-sensitive provisions. You have certain certifications that you need to do. CREMA does not supersede that. You can still operate as you normally would and make sure you comply with your federal contracts and regulations. You mentioned a moment ago the issue of drug testing. Can an employer require an employee to undergo a drug test? Yes. So in order to be able to have an adverse employment action, so in order for an employer to do anything to terminate an employee or even refuse to hire someone, but the bar is a little bit higher since they're not actively working for you. An employer can have, there are four circumstances where an employer can require an employee to undergo a drug test. One would be reasonable suspicion of an employee's usage of cannabis item while engaged in the performance of an employee's work responsibility. So that would mean an employer reasonably suspects that the employee is showing up to work or at an interview or something under the influence. The second would be upon the finding of any observable signs to intoxication related to the use of cannabis. Now, this is very similar, but I think the distinction would be, let's say for reasonable suspicion, you find marijuana on someone. They're acting a little bit off, but not totally off. Under that circumstance, I think you have a reasonable suspicion to drug test someone. Whereas the second, upon finding any observable signs, that's a little bit more based on what the employee is doing and acting. The third would be following a workplace accident. It could be a standard procedure if someone gets into an accident at work using equipment or whatnot to drug test them. And then the act also provides for drug testing to be randomly done, like as part of a a normal regular screening of current employees. So you're allowed to do that there. But that would not be enough, let's say they test positive, to have an adverse action. You need some more. And this is why I say it gets a little bit more nuanced. So according to the act, a drug test is not just a blood test, a urine test, a saliva test. That's one portion of it, that scientifically reliable objective test. The second portion would also be a physical evaluation. 
So to put simply, whenever you want to have an adverse action against an employee and you think that they're either showing up to work under the influence or whatnot, you need a drug test, which would most likely be conducted by a third party because they do saliva or whatnot. And then you also need a physical evaluation. And let's talk about that for a moment, too. So who needs to conduct the physical evaluation of an employee if marijuana use is suspected? So this is where it gets a little fuzzy. So under the act, it should be a workplace impairment expert. They're called a wire in short, just because they have a long name. Everything has an acronym here. There's a lot of long names. So if I refer to a wire, you'll understand. So according to the act, a wire needs to do it. Per the act, they state that the commission, the Cannabis Commission, along with the Police Training Commission, will establish standards to train wires of how to properly evaluate these things. So under the act, it's a wire that's supposed to do it. Now, that leaves a lot of questions as to who is the wire? Is that a third party? Is that someone that you need to train in your office? Who pays for the training? who pays for, if it's a third party, who pays for that, they haven't come up with anything yet. So because the commission and the police training commission are still working on these regulations to deal with the wire and exactly what they need to do, there have come out with, as you said earlier in the beginning of the podcast, interim guidance that recently came out in September. And that interim guidance now says, employer, we know you're supposed to use a wire, but you can train your own employees and these are the protocols you can do. It's a very short guidance, but it now allows employers to kind of take into their own hands the physical evaluation, whereas before everyone didn't know what was going on because there were no wires, there were no regulations dictating what a wire needed to know or how to get certified. Which leaves a lot of things up in the air. Yes, yes. And that's why I said it's a little nuanced because the act says one thing, but right now we're operating under interim guidance. Okay. So should employers document anything if they suspect marijuana impairment? Yes, they should. So the interim act actually came out with a reasonable suspicion observation behavior form, which is great. It is extremely detailed. It has guidance as to you can circle different physical signs and symptoms, such as like flush, pale, sweaty face dry mouth, lip smacking, things like that. It also has different behavioral indicators. So you could circle all that apply, such as anxious, fearful, using profanity, argumentative, things of that nature. It provides for provisions of like date, who's taking it. And then it also allows for different areas for the employer to kind of write down all the different signs that they've seen if there was an accident, kind of describe post-accident what happened. And then there's also a provision for an employee interview. So there's a lot that goes in this reasonable suspicion form, which is great. Now, that doesn't mean that the employer can't use their own form. They can. The interim guidance has permitted that. However, if the employer does use their own form, since the guidance is relatively new, it's just about a month and a half old, I would highly suggest that the employer make sure they cover all of the different provisions of the form promulgated by the commission. So if an employer has their own form, that's great. They can tailor it to themselves, but make sure you have a section for an employee interview. Make sure you have enough of the signs that you can check off and things of that nature, just to make sure you really cover your bases to document 
all the physical signs, behavior, and evidence. Now, many employers still maintain drug-free workplace policies. Are employers still allowed to have those types of policies in light of the act? They are. The act specifically says that employers can have these policies. So despite the fact that marijuana is legal in New Jersey now, does not mean an employer needs to allow their employees to smoke or be under the influence at work. So that means they don't need to allow their employees to smoke on a break and come back because likely they would be high when they came back. I mean, the effects aren't quick. So this isn't a situation where an employee needs to allow for like a smoke break or something like that to allow employees to smoke. So it at least allows for employers to have a kind of no tolerance policy to marijuana while the employees are in the workplace. So you're right. There's a lot here under the act, a lot to break down. It can be overwhelming for employers. What can employers do to address compliance under the act? So the first thing would be to update your policies. A lot of policies, employers kind of go a little bit too far and maybe suggest that you can't be smoking in your off hours or recreationally outside of the workplace. I would make sure that your policies don't suggest that because under the act, you are permitted to smoke recreationally in your off time, let's say on a weekend and something like that. Make sure your policies don't just say that if you test positive for a drug test, you would be fired, terminated lose compensation, suspended, et cetera. That's just not enough under the act anymore. The next thing would be for employers, now that we're operating under this like interim guidance, would be to designate at least one employee as an interim wire. Now, the reasonable suspicion form that I mentioned that the commission promulgated in this interim guidance actually says that if possible to have at least two supervisors fill out the form. So what I would suggest is not just designating one person as a wire, but really training the wire, maybe a backup wire. So if this person's on vacation, other people know what to do. And then all of your supervisors, because your supervisors are going to be actively involved in making sure these forms are done. And it should really be a top-down approach. Everyone needs to be on the same page so people aren't treated differently, depending on who believes they know what under the acts. And then the last thing would be to make sure that you have proper documentation, either using this form or your own, and you have a like standard operating procedure for what to do. So not only just training your supervisors, but making sure you train them all consistently with this standard operating procedure of what to do for these behavior reports. Training, training, and more training. I'm sure we can't I, say that enough. <laughs> I know. And it's so difficult to considering what exactly to train them on, you know, because under the act, there's no guidance as to what exactly would be your surefire winner to say that someone is intoxicated at work. It's very hard under marijuana use. So it's really important that when you do train your supervisors and whatnot, and, and you look at procedures, it's consistent and you're kind of asking your attorneys exactly how to train them because it can go off the deep end very quickly if, if you're not consistent in using the right training. Now, you mentioned the interim guidance that just came out in September. Is there anything else that employers should look for in the coming months regarding the act? Yes, I am very hopeful that the commission will finally promulgate their certification guidance for the wire so that employers no longer need to be operating under this interim guidance and they can start utilizing a wire. And this guidance for wire certification should hopefully detail how to get the certification, who pays for it, 
if a wire needs to be a third party, like a third party contractor or an internal person, just a little bit more. However, given the interim guidance, I think employers can reasonably suspect that wires most likely could be employees at your own company. It doesn't need to be a third party contractor, which is very good. It should give them a sigh of relief because I don't think that they'll have to foot the bill for a third party contractor to come in to help give physical evaluations. Well, we hope that guidance comes out soon. And when it does, we'd love to have you back on the program to break it all down for us again. Sounds great. Alyssa, this has been a fascinating discussion and especially helpful for our employers and attorneys in New Jersey. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. If you'd like to connect with Alyssa, please click on her bio in the description of this podcast. We also encourage you to reach out to any of our lawyers around the world by selecting Find a Lawyer on the ELA website at ela.law. In addition, you can search the ELA website where you can sign up to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers and on-demand content from our online library, or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Tara Stingley. Thanks so much for listening.